Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Okay, good morning. It's great to be with you all this morning. As Phil said, my name is Rich, um, and today we will be continuing our series on Mark. We've been in it for a year now, so we're nearly there. Um, We'll keep on going. And I just thought I'd begin by sharing something that I did over the festive period, which was eat a lot of chocolate and watch some films. That's about all I did over the festive period. And (laughs) I found myself... (laughs) That's coming later. I found myself watching The Sound of Music, and as Julie Andrews was bounding around the hills of Austria, proclaiming brown paper packages wrapped up with string as one of her favourite things, I thought, what was mine? And as I was there pondering what that may be, I decided that it was sleep. I love to sleep. Yes, exactly correct. And I'm sure many other in this room, particularly parents of young children, would agree that sleep is simply... A wonderful thing. I often find myself taking an afternoon doze. Uh, I find myself taking a nap after work. And I love that feeling when you wake up from a little snooze and you just don't quite know where you are or what time it is and your head's all a bit fuzzy. Sometimes Jo walks in from work and she's caught me having a little cat nap and, you know, got woken up to it. I'm a nightmare when I'm traveling because as soon as I am in the passenger seat, I'm there, fast asleep. I think there's a picture of me catching some flies. Um, I, just, I just love to sleep. I once went to a music festival in Spain, and on the way back from it, I found myself sleeping on some random man's shoulder. I had to, to apologise profusely, because as you can see, I slipped with my mouth open, so I, I might have dribbled on him a little bit. So it's not, it's not a good look. The rec- do you know, the record amount of time for somebody staying awake was set by an American teenager in 1963, For his science project, he thought, I'm going to see how long I can stay awake for. And he lasted a staggering 11 days and 25 minutes. 11 days and 25 minutes. The Guinness Book of Records has now stopped monitoring this because they're fearful it could lead to death. So, don't try it. I'm not sure what your record would be, but as you can probably imagine, mine would be feeble. It doesn't matter how much I enjoy something. If I'm tired, then that's me done for. I need to take a nap. That music festival that I went to in Spain, I fell asleep, stood up at one of my favourite bands. The World Cup final in 2018, fell asleep during that. Yeah. Test matches, stages of the Tour de France. The amount of times I've fallen asleep whilst watching those things is unbelievable. And these are all things that I love. I love football, I love cricket, I love cycling, I love music. But if I'm tired, I just fall asleep. And this morning, I want to look at the theme of us staying spiritually awake to make sure that we're not falling asleep on Jesus. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, turn to Mark chapter 13. I'm going to read from verse 32. It should also appear on the screen as well. And it says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, 
in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. So there's some Bible passages which you look at and you think, I don't know what that means. Well, today, as I read this and prepared for this, I was like, well, there's a recurring theme here. Jesus tells us to stay awake four times. Verse 33 says, keep awake. Verse 34, stay awake. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. And verse 37, I say to you all, stay awake. But what is this thing that Jesus is telling us to stay awake? Or as in some translations, it might say, watching for. Well, it's concerning that day. And that day Jesus is talking about is of his coming again. We know that Jesus has come to earth once already, that he was and is Emmanuel, which means God with us. But we are told that he'll come again. And earlier in the chapter, from verse 24, it tells us what it might look like when he comes again. It says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So we know that this day is going to look a little bit different to what it did this morning. There will be darkened suns and moons not given light. And this is a recurring theme throughout the New Testament that Jesus is to come again countless times Jesus tells us about that day, and Paul writes about that day as well. The book of Revelation is largely concerned with Jesus' second coming, and it's part of the good news that we have. It's part of the gospel that God is going to come again and restore the earth, restore heaven and earth. It's going to establish his kingdom. In this this age, there'll be no death and pain. There'll be no loneliness and rejection. But what we'll have instead is joy everlasting. We'll have peace and comfort. There will be unity between man and God. And we will be made whole in his presence. Anything outside of that will not matter in this new age. It will not matter that Liverpool are going to go unbeaten to the end of the season and go down as the greatest team in Premier League history. That will not matter. Politics will not matter. Fashion won't matter. Promotions and fancy new cars will not matter because Jesus says he's coming back. Jesus said he will return. And Jesus is proven to be an accurate predictor of things. So when he says he's going to return, he's going to return. He foretold that Peter was going to deny him three times. He said that Judas was going to betray him. And maybe more impressively, last week, Andy explained how Jesus uh, predicted that the Jerusalem temple would be destroyed. But we've already been waiting a long time, right? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus left us. But we know that God's timing doesn't necessarily live up to our expectation. Israel, time and time again in the Old Testament, were waiting for God to move and act. They were in Egypt for over 400 years, waiting for God to lead them through the Exodus. And that Exodus took longer than they anticipated as well. And then we have them waiting for a Messiah. They waited a long time for a Messiah to come. When Eve, in the, in the, at the fall in the Garden of Eden, there were, God promised a descendant of Eve would crush the serpent's head. And that did not come into fulfilment until Jesus came 2,000 years ago and when, when he died and was resurrected. And just because we don't know when 
Jesus is going to come, just because we don't know when this will be, doesn't mean we shouldn't think about it. We're told to be preparing ourselves for Jesus' return. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians that this day will come like a thief in the night. And I don't know if, if you were to go to Thief Academy or take on an apprenticeship as a burglar, I think one of the things they would tell you would be not to forewarn people that you're coming. Not to leave notes saying, right, I'm coming down to uh, number eight at 11.30 on a Tuesday night, so just make sure you put your stuff out for me. They would say, what you need is the element of surprise. So we know that this day is going to come with an element of surprise. And what do you do to safeguard your property from thieves? You prepare it. You prepare it. You You lock your doors. You close your windows, you set alarms, you keep your valuables out of sight. So just like you protect a property from a thief, we need to prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. And being prepared doesn't mean that we figure out when it's going to happen. Because when we do that, we'll just end up with egg on our face. There was an American radio preacher called Harold Camping. He predicted four times on four different dates that Jesus would return. And all four times he was wrong. To prepare for Jesus, we must show humility. We must consider that he will return, but we must be in today as well, focused on today. Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So our priority is not figuring out his return. And I know Andy promised you all last week that I would tell you exactly when this will be, but I'm not going to be able to do it. Jesus on earth didn't know when he was going to return. So if he doesn't know, then I've got no chance whatsoever. In many parts of the world today, Christians are dying for their faith. There are lots of people dying because they believe that Jesus is Lord and Saviour and they're facing violent persecution. And that is their threat to their faith. Our threat looks somewhat different. Here we can discuss our faith. We can meet here on a Sunday morning. Our threat comes in the form of apathy. Our threat comes from meandering along and losing focus on what is important. Our threat comes from falling asleep on Jesus. And in this passage, we're told to stay awake because that is a threat that we might fall asleep. And to stay awake and to prepare ourselves, we need to examine our hearts. And examining our heart goes beyond looking where we spend our money and our time and our effort. And that is all part of examining our heart. But examining our hearts is also making sure that we're staying awake, that we're not falling into a spiritual slumber. And I think that there are three things that we can do to see if we're falling into some form of spiritual slumber. I think if we are doing this, then we're probably suffering from cynicism, distrust and doubt. So the first sign that you might be falling asleep on Jesus this morning is that you've got a growing sense of cynicism. Cynicism robs joy. It makes you see the worst in people, question people's motives. And you might be sitting there thinking, you all know a cynic, and you do because it's me. I am a cynic. When I'm at my worst, this is who I am. I question people's motives. I have an inability to see things for what they are and take things at face value. I start to see genuinely kind-hearted and well-meaning acts as a sign of leverage or one-upmanship. I, can't, I think that people can't be doing something out of the goodness 
of their own heart, but they must be trying to, there must be some form of hidden motive there. And this has a real effect on me when I come before God, because it means that I start to question his power and his ability to affect change. It brings into question my need for prayer, because I think he can't or won't change things. And when God does perform miracles, when God does work a solution, I struggle to see him at work through it. If you're like me, when you hear stories of God's faithfulness to a friend or see him work something, you'll be like, yeah, but was it really God? Was, it, is that, was that really him or was it just a bit of a coincidence? And if, if, you're there this mo- if you're here this morning and that's your thought when someone tells you of God's faithfulness, be alert because cynicism is growing in you. And if you were to be cynical in this passage, you would doubt that the master would return. You wouldn't prepare yourself. You wouldn't take acts of preparation. You would probably fluff your pillow uh, that you were sitting on and wait for his return. You would not make steps. So how do you stop being a cynic? For me, there are two things that I can do. The first thing I can do is to look at the big picture. As Andy was talking about last week, when our world is falling apart around us, we need to stop and look at the big picture. And for me, that's the same when I'm being cynical. It's slightly different to what Andy was talking about last week in the fact that when I'm being cynical, I have to stop and look to see where God has brought me from. I look at the, the mess I was in when God first found me, the, the, the arrogant and proud self, and that's still there. And God's, that's a continued thing that God's working on with me, but it's changed somewhat. He was, I look at where God's brought me from and I see his kindness to me, his generosity, his wholehearted love for me and his sacrificial act which saved me. And that leads me back to, from a place of cynicism to a place of praise, repentance and thanksgiving. And the second thing that we can do is we can imitate Jesus when we're being cynical. So when I'm being cynical, I'm looking for the worst in people. And if you're looking for the worst in people or something that you don't like about somebody's character, it won't take you long to find something. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus hung out with all sorts of flawed people, with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, lepers, all people who are outcasts in society. But Jesus didn't tell them time and time again on their flaws. He didn't focus on them. Rather, he saw the best in them. He sought out the good things and helped them and developed them and grew them. So when I'm being cynical, I need to look for the good in people. I need to change my perception and my attitudes and not try and change others. And the second thing I can do when imitating Jesus is serve like Jesus did. Serve sacrificially. Because when you are serving, you are putting yourself out there for others. I can't save people like Jesus did. I can't give them salvation. But I can get on my knees and I can wash smelly feet. I can go that extra mile for somebody. I can really support them. And serving people and looking for the best in people kills cynicism. It is a cynicism killer. And the second sign this morning that you might be falling asleep on Jesus is that you no longer fear him or you distrust him. Throughout the Bible, we're told of people who fear the Lord. We're told to fear the Lord. And I think this has changed some, our understanding of this has changed somewhat as the words changed and our understanding of it has changed in 21st century Britain. 
We, we see the word fear as something to be afraid of. But I think when we fear the Lord, it's more out of respect. I heard this explanation of fear this week. It says, fear manifests itself as a desire to be in good standing with the fear source. So if you're, fre- if you're going down the motorway and you see a police officer with a little speed gun trying to get you, 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 your natural reaction is to step on the brake, even if you're going 70, as I always do. <laughs> you know, your natural reaction is to slow down because you want to be in good standing with the fear source. So when you come before God, you want to be in good standing with him. So you change how you act. I try to avoid sin, not because I'm afraid, necessarily afraid of God, but because I want to respect him. I sing songs of worship. I love him. I give financially, not because I fear being smited down, but because I want to honour him. But when I lose respect and fear for God, I don't slander his name. I don't directly disobey what he's saying. What I do is I simply stop caring as much. I simply get distracted by things around me. I find something else to do. And if we want to see how this works out, I think we can look at the story of Noah. The world was doing its own thing. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells us that the people of the world were drinking, eating, marrying, going to weddings. They were going about their business as if God didn't exist. Meanwhile, we've got Noah, this crazy man who feared God, building an ark in the middle of dry land. He respected and feared God because he, he told him to do it. And when the floodwaters rose, Noah found safety in the exact thing God told him to do. And the world was swept away because they were too distracted. Fearing the Lord in this passage will be respecting the fact that God is going to retur- that the master is going to return to the house. Fearing the Lord for us is knowing that Jesus is going to return and that we prepare ourselves. Because if we distrust God and don't respect him, we will ultimately end up being swept away. And our final sign that we might be falling asleep on Jesus this morning is that we start to doubt him. When we're falling into a spiritual slumber, we start to doubt God's promises. Now, God's promises are like floorboards and walkways for us to navigate on in a world trying to lure us away from him. I remember when I was younger, I was sat in my room playing my PlayStation when all of a sudden a piece of ceiling came crashing down. And then I look up and I see my sister's leg dangling from it. She neglected the walkways put in the loft and put her foot straight through the fiberglass insulation. I don't know what she was doing up there, but, you know. And when we, now, when we don't go on the walkways, when we avoid the floorboards, we don't necessarily cause that immediate crash and damage that my sister caused, but rather we kind of go into a sand pit or a, a swamp and every step becomes harder and we slowly, slowly start to sink. What I do when I start doubting God's promises is I don't completely forget them. I just don't own them. I don't stand on them. I don't claim them for myself. I, I, I look at them and think, oh yeah, that's nice. But I don't live as if they're for me. Fortunately, for us, there is a way out of this. 
If, we find our, if we're here this morning and find ourselves in a bit of a swamp, there is a, there is a hand to pull us out, there's a branch to cling to, and that is faith. By taking risks, by stepping out in faith, however small, we start to see God's faithfulness to us. We start to see that God's promises do apply to our lives. And after taking a series of small steps, we can look around and see, actually, that's where I've come from. And I didn't get completely burnt by God. Maybe I can take a larger step. Maybe something you could do, in, uh, if you're struggling with this, is to commit to an hour on the prayer course, uh, not the prayer course, the prayer week that we're coming up, to really say, you know, I'm going to dedicate an hour just to spending time praying for this city, praying for our church, praying for this world, and just see what God does this, how God works through you in this. Another thing that we could do to remind ourselves of God's promises, aside from reading our Bible and praying, which are vital things to do, I think is being in community, being with each other. In Acts 2, we read of a community that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they sat down, they studied the scriptures together, they knew God's promises in times of immense persecution. They devoted themselves to praying together. They took on each other's burdens, they took them to God, and they shared them, and they let God minister to them, knowing God's faithfulness in those times. And the other thing Acts 2 tells us that they did is they broke bread together. They took communion. They remembered what Jesus had done for them. They knew their salvation. They knew where they were going. And they remembered that through the act of taking communion. And before I start to wrap things up this morning, I just wanted to um, share with you a couple of things that God has been saying to me this week um, regarding God's promises. I felt God was saying there are two promises I feel people have started to doubt in this room and that may be some source of encouragement for you there. Firstly, I felt like God was saying that um, there are people here starting to doubt that he is in control of your family, that God is sovereign over your family. In Psalm 103, it says that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And I felt God saying to me that there are people here who are in situations where they're really worried and they're really anxious and they can't see God coming through for them in this situation. I felt God wants to impart faith for you this morning, that he is in control, that he is with you. He sees your struggles, he hears your prayers, but he really does care about you and he has got your situation. I think the second promise that uh, I felt God tell me about that people might doubt would be that he can be trusted. I feel maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't trusted in God before and this is their first time to do it. And, or maybe that you've started to distrust God in your own life. And again from the Psalms, I'm going to read from Psalm 91 the effect of putting our trust in God. It says, The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honour them, and I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. So if you're here this morning and you haven't put your trust in God and you're thinking about doing it for the first time, God says that he will protect you, he will rescue you, he will honour you, he will give you a long life filled with salvation. But he also says that if you're here struggling to do it, come back to me. Come back to me, I will protect you. If you've gone walking away, 
off the floorboards, off his promises, come back to me, I will protect you. And he will be there with open arms. So as we start to wrap up this morning, we start to conclude, I just thought I'd share a remarkable picture from Mark 14 of exactly how not to prepare ourselves and stay awake. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion with his disciples praying. He goes to, and he says to his disciples who he's with, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. So Jesus goes away to pray, leaves his disciples there to watch out and stay awake. And Jesus returns and finds them sleeping. In verse 37, he says he found them sleeping. And so he tells them again, okay, I'm going to go away. Stay awake this time. He returns, verse 38, no, verse 40, he found them sleeping again. Verse 41, are you still sleeping? So here we've got this picture of how not to do it, of how not to fall asleep on Jesus. We need to prepare ourselves for him. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him. Have you talked to Jesus recently? Have you really talked to him? Have you prayed? Have you heard from Jesus recently? When reading the word, have you heard God speak into a situation of your life? Have you felt him guiding and directing you? Are you sitting at his feet, putting aside the, the things that you've got to do, the distractions of this world, and just abiding and resting in him? Or are you slowly falling asleep? Are you meandering along in life, growing in apathy, becoming lethargic, are you becoming too busy to concern yourself with the things of eternity? There's nothing that we can do to prepare for Jesus' return apart from to prepare ourselves. So if you're here this morning and your eyes are getting droopy and you're falling into a spiritual slumber, there is no better time to get that proverbial bucket of water and tip it over your head and wake up. Wake up to a life of excitement. Wake up and commit yourself to God. I believe that there are exciting journeys of faith for every single one of us in this room and God wants us to wake up and partner in those with him. God wants us to commit ourselves to him because life is uncertain and today represents an opportunity to do that, to open our eyes, to get right and stay awake with him. Those same disciples who fell asleep in Gethsemane are the same disciples that were up all night in jails and prisons, singing songs of spiritual praise to, to God. They were the same disciples who were praying all night, asking for Jesus' kingdom to come, setting aside their own needs and focusing on him. And I think God wants us to do the same this morning. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to wake us up this morning to set our eyes on him, to focus on him,